On today's episode of A Story and a Chat, we'll be exploring the role of shame in our lives and society. It's going to be a good one, so settle in and happy listening! Hello everyone, and welcome to A Story and a Chat, the podcast where you will hear mine and other perspectives on topics that are important to all of us. I am your host, Aisha Iqbal, and I wholeheartedly believe that conversations can bring people together in the most beautiful ways, which is why I've created the space to do just that. I'll always start by sharing stories from my life and perspective, then we'll be joined by other folks from various backgrounds and experiences to have conversations through which they can share their unique perspectives as well. This beautiful sharing of stories and experiences is fundamental to our human existence and helps us continue to evolve in a meaningful way. So let's get started, shall we? my fair share of shaming throughout my life, whether it was for not sitting in the appropriate section of the mosque for evening prayers, or for not getting married at the right age. Let's just say that I'm a subject matter expert on how shitty it feels to be shamed for certain choices I've made in my life. But in 2019, I took this a step further by putting together a TED Talk pitch on the topic of single mom shaming and how we as a society just shouldn't do it because I truly believe that the stigmatization of single moms actually pays a bigger part in creating the statistics that we see around how children of single moms are worse off than those from two-parent households. Part of the pitch development process required me to do some research in the form of getting people's opinions on this topic. So I went to Reddit for this and holy shit, lots of people had lots to say on this topic. But what stood out for me was the overwhelming agreement I saw when I asked if single moms should be shamed. So these people agreed because they believe that shame was the best way to curb, quote, bad behavior. I will refrain from going into detail about how I feel about that particular belief, but I will say that this made me start thinking about shame as a tool for pruning human behavior and the historical use of it across different societies. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Rahi Bigdeli, a loving husband and father, a proud veteran of the United States Navy, pharmacist and founder of Libelul Organic Skincare. I asked Rahi to have this conversation with me because honestly, on paper and in real life, he looks like someone who would have little to zero experience with shame. Plus, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but it seems that women are shamed a lot more than men. So I definitely wanted to get into this a little bit more with him. So go ahead and check out the conversation we had. Is shame actually good for human beings? I think so. It's good and bad. You have like the ability to learn from shame, you know, especially when you think of, of, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about shame coming be, it's not just personal in our backgrounds. Shame can be very tribal, you know? Um, And I think 
at times it's good. You learn. And, you know, in shameful, shameful situations, you can back up and say, man, I, I really, I shouldn't, I'll never do that again, <laughs> you know? Um, but then I also think that um, the, there's a permanent piece to it that sometimes makes no sense. Like uh, once you're shamed, it's over. You know, there's like certain things that you just can't do. And if you do, then you're a completely different person, apparently. What do you mean by tribal shame? So tribal shame, you know, when we are, we come from large, small groups. I don't know what to call it, but tribes are like families, extended families, very, very large extended families. And if you go back far enough in those tribes, you know, they were started by four or five brothers, but I'm talking long, long, long time ago, but everyone still has a very strong connection with each other because the background of, of tribal people is we share. We share everything. We share happiness. We share in our wealth. We share in our pride. And those are always great things. In a, in a tribal situation, we don't call my wife my bride. The whole tribe says, this is our bride. My wife's tribe doesn't call me, my wife doesn't just get to call me their groom, her groom. The whole tribe says, this is our groom. There's a, there's some, you become part of something so big, but then there's negatives. When you do things that are not good, or they could be seen as not good, maybe not necessarily not good, but they consider not good, you know, then the shame is exponential. So just like the pride can be exponential and the happiness can be exponential, you know, hey, so-and-so's daughter got into med school. Wow, the whole tribe goes crazy. So-and-so's daughter got knocked up. Oh, the whole tribe, it's exponential. The shame upon the whole tribe, it hits, you know, just as hard in the negative way, you know? So it comes with the goods and bads, but I think it's good to a point. I mean, that's how we, we, we teach children and we teach even adults that, you know, you make big mistakes, you feel bad for them, and then you apologize and you try not to make them again, if that's allowed. Unfortunately, a lot of times based on the, the culture, and depending on what the situation is, maybe it's not allowed. And that's where you have a problem with if it's, it's shame forever, well, then that's ridiculous, you know, then shame is bad, is not good then, you know. So then shame acts kind of like a ring fence, right? In a, in a society, it, it keeps everyone in check. My mom has said this to me that, you know, I think we were talking about gypsies one day, right? I think I had just finished yeah. watching The Hunchback of Notre Dame or something. Okay. We were talking about gypsies and I started empathizing with them that I was just like, you know, doesn't seem like the gypsies were bad people. They were just trying to live their own lives. She's like, yeah, but if you're going to, if you're going to live in a society, you got to, you got to live by its rules. You can't have it both ways where you're part of a society, but then you're not abiding by the rules of society. Oh, that's a very hot topic. It's a very a hot topic. Yeah, Cause then that, yeah. that then launched me into kind of like, I get it, but what if the rules aren't the right rules and that again is it's objective right like right for me could be wrong for you and right for you could yeah. be wrong for me 
but it's just like, it's that flexibility that I think you're also then touching upon, right? Like shame forever. Like there should be some flexibility that we can probably come to a table and discuss like, is this really long? Should you, should I really shame you for this? Or is there a point that I should get over it? So yeah, I want you to get a little bit more into kind of that shaming forever. Is that scarlet letter? Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like based on cultural things and and just the, like, it's like, for instance, our culture, my culture, it's a, it's a bunch of old dudes that sit around and go, that's very shameful for the whole tribe. And that's something that we're just not going to get over. And it has nothing to do with the person that's mostly related to the person that committed the shameful act. It's like, you, it may be three, four, five generations down, but it, the respect in the tribe is like, okay, they said it. So you're a shame upon us all forever. You know? It's like the council of elders. Right? Because I think yeah. in, in my culture, so where my family is Punjabi and parents were born in India, but migrated to Pakistan. And in the, in the Punjabi culture, maybe not even Muslim, but in the Punjabi culture, there is a kind of a council of elders are called the Panchayat. And it's supposed okay. to be like five elders and they sit around under a tree, or at least this is the village scene, right? Yeah. yeah. And they dole out their wisdom. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dole out wisdom, yeah. They dole out wisdom. And part of this wisdom is what's right and what's wrong. And then it's just, it's, they dole out their justice that way too for their people. Yeah. Their judge, jury, everything. And hopefully the person that you have in that position is a good person because people are people. And unfortunately, some tribes right. have people in those positions that are not good people. So then how, how do we see that translated over into kind of the societies that we live in now? We're not in a village. We are in, yeah. quote unquote, modern society, right? I think it takes one generation to get away from it. <laughs> I think that it's, it's an easy thing to break. It's not for the generation that moved here, but it's, it's easy for the generation that's born here. Your mom said something very important there. If you want to live in America let's say, then you need to be an American. You need to adopt some of their ways. We're not saying you need to do everything, but you need to take pride in, or just don't, you know, like that's that it, it um, some of these things need to be, you know, uh, we've, no, we've learned that these tribal shaming things can lead to killing. <laughs> that's pretty extreme. And we know that, that the outcome of that is awful. Like, truly no one has won in those outcomes. So if we know that, then leave that stuff back home. You should, uh, you know, take the experience of coming somewhere new that is accepting and inviting and is teaching you new cultural things and saying, that's not really that shameful here big deal. And we don't, you know, we don't consider that shameful and, and, and uh, it become part of your culture now, you know, when the, the parents, the ones that immigrated here, no, that there's just like, a, it's like a, something ingrained in their brains. They just can't do it. I don't know why it's just so hard for that acceptance. It's like you have a certain time frame as a child that that stuff has to get in your brain. I don't know the psychology behind it, but then when that stuff gets out of your, like, and then 
you don't have room for any more of that at a certain point. So then when you go to a different culture, you can't do it. It's really weird. There's certain things you just can't do. But what's amazing is, is that first generation, most of the time that's born here, they, they can, they, they lose some of the, the old school stuff. They gain a bunch of new school stuff and they melt, they, they melt with this like really beautiful cultural thing, you know, like for instance, born and raised Persians in America really struggle marrying born and raised Persian from Iran. Culturally, they may be from the same tribe. It's just not going to work. It really, they do struggle. There is a point where it's just not going to work. But two people who are, let's say, born of two immigrant parents, different countries totally, but because they were immigrants and they learned very similar things as far as like parents working hard to try to make it in a new country and this and that, they're, they're, tribal sense is stronger to each other they have so many more similarities than the person from the old country you know so it's like a shared experience versus a shared upbringing yeah right that brings people together now it's interesting i you you said old school right like we consider me and you are the same age yeah and uh we're becoming old school that that's where I was going with that right like we think our parents are old school and they're old school thinking and we're like yeah we're breaking those chains but when our kids grow up they're gonna be like man mom dad what are you guys even talking about that's such old school thinking so it, it my parents shame right is is something that I'm you know breaking through or whatever but it makes me wonder like, what is my definition of shame, right? As a parent and what am I going to put my daughter through? I was about to ask you that. What's your definition of shame? I don't know. Like I, what I feel the tingling inside, like still, uh, so I do homeschooling for Eliza. And when I see her struggling in certain areas, there's like that something inside, like, no, she needs to know this because uh, what's going to happen when she goes to school and then she can't do this. And you know, how, what are the other kids going to think of her? What are teachers? So that is, again, I don't know if that's my shame or if that's like leftover from kind of growing up with that kind of thinking, but whatever it is, right. I'm still carrying remnants of that. Yeah. And I may, I may act on it with Aliza. So, yeah, we still got the, the, I call it that it's like PTSD (laughs) where like, (laughs) You know, we still have, we all have that moment, like uh, the child of immigrants where we go to the lunchroom and our parents, you know, packed our lunch and all the other kids have like sandwiches and apples and chips. And then we open the Tupperware and garlic and onions and curry and smells (laughs) going all over the place, you know, we're all embarrassed, you know, And, and the truth is, is like, they want our food, but in our heads, we're like, man, want their food we're so different you know so i think that creates ptsd right you know so we have it yeah so like, and i think that's where that term like generational healing comes from right like it's it takes you said that yes in, in one generation we can start breaking and and that's true it can be that quick but then there is certain trauma right that just takes multiple attempts so like, I've thought about this in many ways that my parents, they were product of 
the partition of India and Pakistan. Oh yeah. And that was some crazy stuff that they went Huge. through and very scary. Very. And to so, this day they're dealing with it. Yeah, to this day they're still dealing with it. But they I don't know, they never taught us hate. And hate can be taught, but hate can also be through osmosis. You can get hate. But they never created that environment. I always remember them having kind of mixed religion friends, mixed culture friends yeah, and stuff. So but I have seen other families that were also part of that experience that just stuck to their own. And, you know, they they did still carry some of that hate with them. And so I guess what I'm saying is that my parents did a great job of probably healing some of their own trauma that they got from their but we're upbringing. lucky in that situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still, like, it takes so much effort that there was still some trauma that just continued on mm. and got passed into us. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's a, it's a cyclical healing process. And so yeah. I'm wondering, and I think about that all the time. I'm like, what am I, I'm working on stuff, some stuff that my parents didn't get to. Cool. But what is some remnant stuff that I'm going to pass on to Eliza? And yeah. then what is some new stuff that I'm going to pass on to her? That's the scary right. part for me. Right. Like, am I creating new trauma? Right. Right. Uh, we're going to, we have to, there's, there's uh that, like that PTSD pops up and we're just like, Oh man, I remember doing this and it was not a good outcome. And so you react and then you realize that, you know, it's a different generation. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I remember seeing, maybe I just hung out with the wrong kids, but <laughs> generationally speaking, I remember like my friends coming to my birthday parties as a kid and we would play basketball game. And all we did was talk smack to each other the whole time. And then, you know, like, and it was fun, but it, it I realized it's very generational because I was about the same age, probably like eight years old at the time. And Isabella had her um, like a birthday party. We did at a bowling alley and she brought all her classmates over. And I remember watching like one classmate do bad, like, you know, ball goes in the gutter. If those were my buddies, they would have been like, oh, you're terrible. You suck, you know? But they were all like, it's okay, man. You just got to try again. You know, it's just pick up the ball. And you just, this is the best way. Like six of them are gathered around trying to coach this one little kid on how to, I just thought to myself, I was like, man, generations have changed. Like, I shouldn't be so worried maybe that like, oh, maybe Isabella, oh, don't do that. That didn't work out for me. But it's just natural. We're going to. Okay. And that in that scenario are we creating softer human beings this way like you one could say that shame toughens you up and you become hardcore and then you can coast through life and experience anything because you've got this shield but if we're if in that scenario where we're just like what's that term snowflakes right yeah. are we creating snowflakes are we creating like soft human beings and if so is that a bad thing do you think? I, don't, I don't know. I think only time will tell. You know, I think there's goods and bad, good and bad to it either way. You know, I, I, I feel like uh, being able to have that like in the background where you're like, uh oh, man, I better not mess this bowling game up because these guys are watching me. And I'm going to do really good. That, that helps you do well. Right. 
but then so does the the ability to know that man if i mess this up my friends are going to jump in there and show me how to do it properly and that gives you the ability to so i think they both they're both good i don't think we should go extreme right or left somewhere in the middle would be good you know i like that example but, though because one 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 focuses on individual success right mm -hmm this kind of shaming will help me do better. I will show up better. Yeah. But in your second example, it talks about like community building. Yeah. Like my people will jump in and show me how to do it. Yeah. And then we yeah. will all be better for it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it gives me the opportunity to learn, but then also gives them the opportunity to teach and reinforce their learning. So like, I mean, schools now have like, they require high school students to do so much, so much volunteering. I mean, we didn't have that when I was going to school. We didn't volunteer for nothing. You didn't get anything for it, you know? So why do it, you know? Uh, th this type of process, I mean, it, it, it molds you differently. It really does. It really does. So I'm going to pick on you a little bit. The stereotype of the Persian men, like mm. big, strong, super proud, and, you know, everything in the world lays at your feet kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So what shame have you felt? That's a really good question. I mean, the shame of not being good enough, not being a good enough son, not being a good enough father, not being a good enough man. There's always that, 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 that little voice in the background that's telling you, if you were better, you would have done this. And you shouldn't be tired right now. It's not fair for you to be tired right now for your kids. It's not fair for you to be tired for your wife not fair or I'm just I'm a pharmacist I'm not a physician that's something that I think my parents it's, it's a it's a schooling thing it's a brown chain thing about like when you go to school you don't just go study underwater basket weaving there's only three things you can study and of those things I didn't do one I became a pharmacist it's close I, I could I can see like the parents these are weak chains they're not there, I don't know, the one for where I'm, I feel like I'm not enough. That's a hard shame for me. Personally. You just went through a multitude yeah. in, in like seconds. Yeah. And, and there, I mean, that's a lot. It, it, the, the point about shame as a man, like not being enough. Yeah. That's a big one, right? Because one. I mean, what's your point Surprise of comparison? It came out like that, actually. Uh, what's that? What's it like? I guess from a gender perspective, right? Me being a woman, mm. it's well known the shame of being a woman, the shame of being a girl. There's many cultures, bad. right? That yeah. that's too sad. But, it is, but, but there's is. many examples of where women are not seen as valuable, that men are always seen as valuable. So we don't hear a lot from yeah. men speaking about. Yeah. shame of not being man enough not being man enough um and, and, and being man enough can be can be like it doesn't have to be a manly thing you know it's being there for your family being there for your wife for your kids in a moment that they need you you know um because is, is that an expectation that was put on you because we hear that right like as a man and as a husband you need to provide and you need to support and secure and, and it's a very hard game to play because you don't know like is working all this much really benefiting my family? Is bringing home money 
where where do you cut it off? Where do you say, okay, we have enough, um, and so I'm going to stop. But you just have this little thing in the back of your head as a man that's like, what if, what if, what if Isabella wants something? You know, what if, what if she's, what if she um, gets hurt and gets sick? And do we, do I need to make, gosh, I should bring some more. We should have some more savings for that. I mean, Isabella's going to go to college in like six years. Am I really prepared for that? Do I have enough money set aside for that? Those kinds of things. I was like, man, am I, am I dad enough? Am I husband enough? Am I son enough? Am I brother enough? It's just a lot of shortcomings that I guess that's where you get shame for a man. It's not crying. I cry all the time. I think that's changed over time. I don't let anybody see it. So I guess maybe that's kind of shameful. But were you always comfortable with your no, crying? No, I still am not. I mean, I wouldn't do it in front of people. I wouldn't do it in front of my kids, you know. Your kids haven't seen you cry. They've seen me once. I lost a close friend at school, at, uh, at work. Um, someone who really helped me like move up the ranks at the place I was working at. And uh, she had back surgery and she was an HR person. She had this... Uh, she got an infection and like, it was like a week later gone. It was just so unexpected, you know? And when I heard the phone call, it was, I was taking Isabella to school and I just, I couldn't, they said, Hey, so-and-so passed away. And I was like, you know, I couldn't stop it right there, you know, but she's only seen it then. She's never seen it again. So I want to go back to the point about as parents, right? We both have children. Yes. I know I've done plenty of things that my mom has been ashamed of. And so it's, when I think of myself as a parent, I mean, I think I'm pretty open-minded. And right now I think like, yeah, if, if, if Elisa were to do something that, you know, didn't sit well with me, I'm, I'm sure I'd find a way to get over it. Do you ever think about that? How we as parents can practice being there as a great support system for child. And when I say great support system, of course, that means like not having them succumb to our morality, right? Or I mean, our value system and what we think is shameful or not shameful. I think because we're not in the same situation that, you know, our parents grew up in, you know, a big shock to my parents was, you know, they, they built Iran up to me and these stories that they would tell me. as just like, like paradise, this like wonderful place where like everybody was so respectful of each other. And all my cousins were like really good at school and, you know, and, and like everyone just respected their elders and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I really kind of grew up that way thinking that that's it. And maybe that's what my parents saw when they left. Maybe that's how they were, where it was. But, you know, we're talking about a revolution, similar to your parents country becomes a new country. And um, I remember going back and saying, everything they told me was a lie. But it wasn't that they were lying. They were in shock as well. It, this is not the country they left in the 70s. It had completely changed. And definitely not for the better. Okay. And so, um, I just remember like their belief system was completely shaken up, shaken up. Totally. Yeah. But the cool thing is we're not in that system. So I think we have a better opportunity to like 
You know, we don't have that tribal uh, on our heads constantly. Like so-and-so's mom said, da 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 they saw you out here and doing this and, you know, all this kind of stuff that, that you would see in more of a tribal situation. Man, our only tribe here is our like immediate family. But even then, that it brings it, well, closer to home, obviously, right? Because it's immediate family. But because it's so small, if you lose them, then where do you go? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so at least for me, the way, the way I've been pacifying myself is, according to my culture, being unmarried is not cool. It's a huge taboo. Being unmarried and then having a child on top of that? My God, yeah, yeah, don't even... Right. Don't even bother. They're the same. Yeah. So, Cult- our culture is the same, unfortunately. So with me, I feel like... Had you been a man, it wouldn't be as bad either. For sure. That's, a, that's sad, isn't it? Well, that's the hierarchy, right? I consider, I look at life, like there's a hierarchy of power, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Men are obviously, you know, at the top and then women at the bottom. But even then there's like layers, socioeconomic layers, racial, whatnot, And so because I'm already there, I am an unmarried mom. I feel like I'm already on the outskirts of societal norms. So then that gives me some power that others who are following societal norms may not have. I have a sense of freedom because of that. Like I'm I'm already like like that. Yeah, because I mean, that's how I rationalize it to myself. Like I'm already like pissing people off. So what's just one more thing going to do really? Well, I, I like the way you think that way. I wouldn't say it's even rationalizing it to yourself. I think it's the right way to say things. Like if you are, if you're doing something and you're doing it well, and it doesn't hurt anybody. And actually it helps. And like, who's to say you're doing it wrong? You know? Instead of thinking of shame as a bad thing, yeah. like we should stop shaming people. Yeah. We should stop using shame as a tool to control, to create limits, to keep people in line, right? Instead of thinking of shame just like that. And, and to use shame as a tool for learning is a way to get there to also then start being more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, but it's so hard to be uncomfortable. <laughs> I know. Right? I mean, that's just a human... Uh, I was like listening to some of this David Goggins guy and you know he's the only human being like this he's like I told myself that I gotta wake up every morning and do something that totally sucks that's the only way I can fix myself who thinks like that we don't like to be uncomfortable that's natural that's what we like to be uncomfortable if we know that the end outcome is better than what we have right now so we will do things that make us uncomfortable now for instance go to school, get an education, you know, um, those types of things. Uh, Yes, it's a struggle while you do it, but then we know that the end outcome, there's something positive in it rather than just owning a business or something, whatever. Um, But that's what makes us human. We don't like things that are uncomfortable. Because even the act of learning starts with whether you admit it to yourself or to others that you don't know this. So then that's why you are learning about it. Fascinating. So then as again, parents, and we are on this journey to be better people for our little people. Yeah. If you were to make a vow today to me, like one thing that you would practice, like one 
discomfort that you would practice to become more comfortable with, what would that be? Oh, discomfort that I would, but as a parent. Like, what are some things that you as a person feel uncomfortable with, but you would want your kids to be better at than you? Like, would you want your kids to be, like, would you want Noah to be comfortable with crying in front yeah. of people? Yeah, oh, I would. He does now, he's four, you know? I'd like him <laughs> to continue to do that, you know? And how can you help him do that? Uh, you know, I, I make an active, and I've caught myself doing this in the past, and I've stopped myself, where you go, hey, you're a boy, you're not supposed to do that. You better stop. You know, look at all these people looking at you. Shame on you. Maybe I just go, man, you hurt yourself. I know it hurts. Get it out. You know, once you get it out, you'll feel a lot better. Maybe I should do that more often. You know? I love that. Yeah. So. Promise me you'll try. I pinky promise that I will try. Go. Got it. Yes, I will try. Thank you so much. This was such an amazing conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Story in a Chat with me, your host, Aisha Iqbal. Before signing off, though, I want to take a moment to reflect on this conversation and bring it back to my everyday. Now, when it comes to shame, I have to admit that it is still something that I actively work on every single day. And it actually became a much more concerted effort of mine after having my daughter because being a woman who had spent, you know, over 38 years of her life in this world, I knew the kind of difficulties that my daughter might be getting herself into as she grew up. So in order for her to have a better time than I did, I knew that I would have to, you know, work on myself first in terms of building my self-confidence, doing any healing work that I needed to do to heal from any wounds that I had from any previous shaming or even current shaming, right? So it's a daily practice of mine even now. And very simply, it starts with just realizing that it's there. So being aware of the pain and then forgiving myself for it. It still sounds a little weird to me because I'm like, but I'm not the one who did this to me. I'm not the one who, you know, shamed me for doing this. But there is a component of that shaming where it created this internal shame that I have for my own choices too. So it's almost just like a brainwashing of sorts, like me thinking, oh, you know what? That person is right to shame me for that. So it's that part that I'm working on on a daily basis to forgive myself, to get over my own internal shame for myself, because I know that the more work I put in, the better I'm showing up. So yeah, the, the, the topic of shame is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I still think that we can find a better way to help guide people, you know, especially in a society to, you know, do the right thing. And I think we can do that through kindness. We don't always have to use shame and make people feel shitty about what they're doing. Um, so I'm just hoping that there are more people who think like that than not. But I hope you enjoyed this conversation because I know I did. And please tune in next time when I continue to explore this wonderful world of ours through the art of storytelling and discourse with other magnificent human beings. 
Until then, keep your mind clear and your heart open so you can hear your own truth. Also, if you've enjoyed any part of this conversation, please consider writing a review saying as much and share this out as a gift to others in your circle. Toodles!